uh, Hillary has been lengthening her excuses as to why uh, she lost the election. She didn't really lose the election. It was stolen from her uh, by, I think it's up to 24 different excuses she has now. Number 24 is content farms in Macedonia. And uh, as I said, uh, my grandfather was a uh, Macedonian content farmer. And uh, we often think about, you know, gathering on the porch and recalling the old days on the Macedonian. I never thought, he never thought that the old content farmers he left behind in Macedonia would one day steal the U.S. presidential election. They are gnarled, hardworking Macedonian peasants. And the way they were able to reach out. It's week 173 of whichever month this is, and folks in Macedonia are getting a bit antsy about the state of emergency. The coronavirus is long gone globally, the world economy has recovered, but Macedonia is still under a state of emergency. Elections are postponed indefinitely as the temporary caretaker government comes up with a new case of some guy sneezing on the street as an excuse to get President Fendorovsky, now in his third term, to extend the state of emergency. Folks confined to their homes receive their daily ration of Mama's Ivar, Mama's Pickles, and Mama's Toilet Paper, which is also the government-issued daily bulletin. The Internet is restricted to several news sites pre-approved by the Government Media Ethics and Standards Board that mostly report on the just-around-the-corner, we-are-almost-there-folks, next summit-for-sure opening of the U.S. Session Talks. Only essential businesses remain open. The energy-producing sector, now Mama's Power and Gas Company, some farming, Mama's marijuana plantations, and of course the courts, where the trials of opposition officials continue as a means of keeping the populace entertained and in check. A thriving black market in curfew passes has enriched local citizen party bosses who sell the all-important stamps to people desperate to get out of their homes for a bit of fresh air or to try to get some contraband Ivar and toilet paper. EU officials continue to welcome the state of affairs in Macedonia. While acknowledging that all other countries have dropped the epidemic quarantines long ago, they also note that any relaxation of the coronavirus epidemic rules might result in the people speaking their actual mind on EU and NATO. And, well, now we can't have that happen, can we? We'll discuss all of this and more on this episode of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. I'm Jason Miko, coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. This is Tvitan Shulimanov calling in from Skopje, Macedonia. Yes, and uh, we, we kind of dropped the uh, splendid isolation quarantine stuff because that is uh, just the, the, the new normal, although I think for you guys uh, it's a little more severe than here in the great sovereign state of Arizona. Yeah, the intro was uh, futuristic, but not too much. I mean, this is things are getting really totalitarian here. Yes, well, it, it's kind of funny. So Anne uh, Applebaum, uh, mm. I, I can't remember if she's a New York Times writer or Atlantic um, she, uh, she claims that Viktor Orban is uh, the first dictator in the European Union, yeah. uh, and yet she ignores the abuses going on in Macedonia. Um, and, I, 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 you know, well, that's, that's what we expect from our friends on the liberal left, yeah. the progressives, the Jacobins, uh, etc. No, so, Orban had a great now, do you still have a... Did you catch that? Uh, no, the, no, what was it? It was like... Uh, uh, not now, EPP, I'm too busy to discuss the state of uh, affairs in uh, you know, your perception of the state of democracy in Hungary. <laughs> I'm busy saving lives. Once this is over, we can get together. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, he adds, frankly, I, I cannot imagine that you people have so much free time on your hands right now to be discussing my country. It, it's just a run-of-the-mill oh, state of excellent. emergency there. Like Everybody else declares yeah. states of emergency, and they all get uh, panic-stricken about Hungary. I mean... Here in Macedonia, the government was uh, banning people from congregating on the streets. It was setting supermarket prices. Uh, it was announcing it's going wow. to be investigating. Uh, yeah, we have that. Uh, they, uh, hmm. they were announcing they're going to investigate, uh, you know, with an intent to find something. Pharmacies which uh, hike prices for uh, uh, masks well before they even introduced the state of emergency. And we kept telling them, listen, okay, uh, you can't just do this uh, on a whim. You have to create a state of emergency and then you can legally, lawfully do it. So for, uh, I think right. about 10 days, they were doing all of these things without an officially declared state of emergency. And nobody, you know, was concerned about this. Nobody said and boo. In Hungary, yeah. it's a pretty normal state of emergency. Like, 
by then, by now, most other European countries declared one. And, you know, the government can declare elections are obviously postponed. Nobody would dare vote in this situation. We didn't even legally postpone elections in Macedonia, but they're postponed by common agreement that it's ridiculous to have elections now. We did not. We had a, a meeting of law professors and they did not come up with a solution to the problem. Oh. They just instructed the Electoral Commission to suspend preparations. So we're doing crazy stuff here and uh, we yeah. were doing it without a state of emergency. But uh, in the case of Hungary, it's, uh, you know, the sky is falling. It, it's incredible. Well, this again, this just goes to show you that our friends on the left, the progressives, uh, are going to use this situation, desperate as it is around the world, to continue to push their, uh, basically, it's ironic, they're going to continue to use it to push their authoritarian agenda, because that's what they are. They're accusing Orban of being authoritarians, when it is th these people, like the Ann Applebaums of this world, and, you know, the government of Macedonia and, and, and folks like that, that wish to impose uh, their will upon the rest of the people. Uh, and continue with it. Um, I think we, we should mention that this is episode 66 of the Macedonian Content Farmers podcast. We're recording this on Sunday, April 5. It's Palm Sunday for the Catholic and Protestant world. I'd like to uh, emphasize that. Uh, next week is Easter here. Next week is, is Palm Sunday for the Orthodox world. And the following week, uh, the 19th, I believe, is uh, Easter in the Orthodox world. Um... Mm -hmm. I don't know what week this is of coronavirus uh, madness, but uh, three, four, something like that. You know, it's kind of funny, Svetin. They, they keep telling us the 14 days, 14 days. Each day they say 14 days, and then all of a sudden you've, got, you've gone through 14 days, and they keep saying 14 days. And, I, you know, I think we know by now that the United States, much of Europe, much of the world, is looking at May Day, May 1st, mm -hmm. as the the earliest that some of these restrictions can be lifted. Uh, whether or not things are going to be better by then, I think is anybody's guess. You know, we've been reading the news and watching the news and listening to the so-called experts, etc. Uh, and there, there, there is some good news out there, but um, uh, we just don't know. Now, coming back to Macedonia, do you guys still have a curfew in place? Yeah, there is a curfew. Uh, it's currently on. Now it's nine in the evening here and... Uh... Uh, this is a weekend, it's a Sunday, so yeah, the curfew began at 4 in the afternoon. I was shopping around 2.30 and already, you know, the the store uh, guys and girls were telling us, okay, hurry up, we try to close it, <laughs> you know, at, at 2.30, something like that. Uh, starting tomorrow, the curfew, again, is normally, uh, on a workday, it's between... Uh, uh, what is it now? Like six, I think, and uh, uh, nine in the evening. Yeah. But for the elderly uh, and the young, we try to keep them apart so the young can only get out after noon, while the elderly can only go out between five in the morning. I don't know what what's that about. Pro probably the farmers. So between five and uh, eleven. So we wait yeah. until so they clear out the streets at eleven. We wait an hour. I don't know what for, and then the kids can get out at, at, at noon, maybe the the germs to dissipate, <laughs> and then the kids can get out an hour later. And uh, yeah, it's pretty... And start as of uh, this weekend, we have Kumanov under lockdown, under a quarantine. City. Yeah, and that's a big city, that's like 100, yeah. 120,000 people. So before that we had Debar under quarantine, but that's just like 10,000 people at the borders, you just close the border crossings and uh, one road, you close it on two, on both ends and the city is sealed. And, and more importantly, you can deliver food and hygiene supplies to such a small city, no problem. But mm -hmm. uh, Kumanova is a completely different beast altogether. Skopje has the most cases, like 250, I think, by now. I think 500 throughout Macedonia, more than half are in Skopje. But Kumanova has been growing exponentially like there are 60 70 cases by now their hospital they had 11 cases so basically the hospital is offline they had to bring in doctors mm. from other parts of the city they had a few fatalities so now i mean normally you would lock down skopje like you lock down in new york but uh, uh, skopje is too big to control or supply under lockdown 
So we just ignore the fact that the biggest city has the biggest problem. And we imposed uh, a lockdown on Kumanova for the whole weekend. So basically, uh, they've been locked since Friday at 9 in the evening uh, in their homes. And they'll, they'll be allowed out outside only at Monday at 5 in the morning. Uh, and it was horrible. They gave them the news. I mean, normally you would tell them like, at least an hour into the curfew. So like on Friday at 10 in the evening, you tell them you have an address by the president, the prime minister and the mayor telling them, listen, guys, for your safety, you got to stay locked in. Just call us. We'll bring whatever you want, food, drinks, whatever. But no, they told them like a few hours before the lockdown. So they told them at five, at four in the afternoon that starting at nine, they will be locked down. <laughs> so, so it was pandemonium created- and chaos. It was horrible. People were fleeing the city. People were, people were rushing through the stores. And normally now we wait orderly, like you give like two meters distance to the person waiting in front right. of you and you use a mask and you just try not to shop like a crazy person. But uh, <laughs> once they told the whole city that uh, they have like four hours to do their shopping in their locks for three days, for two and a half days, <laughs> it was a horrible mess. Or, or at least tell them like in two days, like tell them on Wednesday that it starts on Friday. So right. who wants to flee the city can flee the city. Who wants to stock up on everything can stock up. You know, you can go, if you're going to see the mistress and then go to your wife, you know, you can do that <laughs> and not be locked with your, with your mistress uh, uh, while your wife is waiting for you to come back. From yes. the, you know, if you're planning to come the next morning with your uh, friends uh, <laughs> after drinking with your friends. So uh, it was a big mess, and uh, it's b- badly managed. There is also, you know, <laughs> the the, pre- the prime minister Oliver Spasovsky, who is, you know, Zaev's lieutenant and loyalist. Uh, he's from Kumanova, oh. but the, his arrival XDSM faction apparently from the mayor. I didn't know this. It was only revealed recently, and uh, oh. so the mayor was asking for such a measure. The prime minister wouldn't do it. So uh, apparently there was a lot of friction between them and uh, the prime minister had to be forced to do this. <laughs> and then there were pictures from Kumano basically days before this happened. ISDSM was apparently ordering uh, potato, sacks of potatoes, uh, cartons of cooking oil to distribute to the Roma in Kumanova in exchange for their votes. And this is... Uh, the elections were planned for April 12th. So apparently they had the stuff on order and it was going to go bad or whatever. And so they decided to distribute the food uh, regardless of the fact that the elections have been postponed in some fashion. So for like uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're they're doing this, but they're also posting pictures. Look at us, we're in this neighborhood and we're giving all the food to Roma. This comes courtesy of Zoran Zaev and Oliver Spasovsky and the SDSM party, <laughs> and it's total violation of all rules to avoid <laughs> congregating, and people are fighting over sacks of potatoes. It was such a mess, and then two days later, they're in a total police curfew. <laughs> wow. So so in theory, they will lift this tomorrow, or they'll have more news yeah. about whether or not it's going to continue, etc.? We can't feed Kumanova by, uh, you know, by the army just delivering supplies. It's just too big. They're going to open it tomorrow, but uh, this is going to be like a warning shot. I, I suppose everybody's going to stock up on food for a couple of days, and then I suppose it's going to be closed again. So Kumanovo is bad. Struga is bad. They have growing cases because of uh, a couple of uh, Muslim Macedonian uh, heavily emigrant villages, people going to Italy and coming back. So uh, a lot of cases there. So Struga is uh doing very bad we have about 18 people deceased by now a couple mm. of them like middle-aged not not even old people a uh, bunch of hospitals have had to be closed before you, because you know a doctor contracts the virus and it's a complete mess uh, we had a woman give birth while positive uh, uh, but you know fortunately everything turned out okay uh, Scare. We have hospitals refusing patients. So two people have died by being being denied admittance to a hospital, and this is apparently on orders 
from the healthcare minister who says that only Sco the Skopje clinic for infectious diseases is equipped to, you know, handle this. So mm -hmm. basically, local hospitals are ordered not to admit patients because then the entire hospital could get uh, offline and make matters much worse. So two people have died. One has died literally at the doorstep of the Veles Hospital. One in uh, Ohrid. The Ohrid Hospital is rejecting cases from Labunishta, from Struga. They're, mm -hmm. they're saying you have all these immigrants. We can't treat you. Get out. Go to Skopje. So a woman died at home while after being denied treatment. So things are, you know, becoming messy and dark here. On some good news, though, we saw a plane load of medical supplies delivered mm -hmm. from uh, the government of Slovenia. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, the Prime Minister uh, Mjana's, what's it? Uh, uh, Janša. Yeah. You know, who is a good friend of Macedonia, uh, center-right prime minister and government there just recently formed uh, at the request of, I believe it was Christian uh, Misoski, uh, Vomaro Dompomene, mm. had requested this and, and the prime minister sent a plane load of, of uh, medical supplies. Uh, and also, I think, uh, Svetin, we need to uh, wish our, our friend Antonio Milosovsky and his wife oh, yeah. and family congratulations on the birth of their fifth child. Yep. Philip? Well, uh, who's counting? <laughs> Mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So congratulations to, to that growing family. Uh, yeah. God's blessings on them. Um, of course, you know, the standard joke. I, I, when I was in the Macedonia two months ago, I, I saw Antonio and I told him, you know, every fifth child born on the planet is Chinese. <laughs> so you, you better you better check. <laughs> I think so. he surpassed Vladko by now. He de yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Lotko and Susanna have four. So uh, yeah, <laughs> and I think Susanna's done. Too. So um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, they are they are taking uh, God's command to uh, be fruitful and multiply uh, literally. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. So there is some there is some good news in all of this. Um, yeah, we have uh, the Slovenian guys. They're not center right. They're proper right now. They're Visegrad right, like Orban right. Ah, okay. And. Uh, they're, you know, very, so basically they're the new addition to the Visegrad 4. And uh, tomorrow the uh, Hungarian foreign minister requested uh, uh, to arrive to Macedonia. He requested oh. to come for a visit. And he's also expected to bring a plane load of assistance. Again, uh, similar uh, political, you know, uh, similarly through the Vimera connection and the Visegrad connection. So yeah, I mean, the European Union has delivered, uh, they, they started a campaign, like a social media campaign to tell us to stay at home, thank you. <laughs> they provided yeah. like, uh, promised like several million in assistance to the budget and whatever, in a situation where the budget hole is 700 million euros and upwards. And uh, that's the, you know, the best case scenario is 700 million, which is, still about 30% of the budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they're very uh, nowhere to be found. You know, the, the EU guys, they're mostly seen through this ban on purchasing equipment uh, from European companies, which sent the government scrambling to Brazil, to Israel, to Turkey. So now Turkey denied uh, us the right to purchase, uh, you know, the option to purchase their ventilators because apparently because we want to place sanctions on them on Greek request because of the migrants and mostly because of the oil and gas drilling near Cyprus. So the Turks are saying, okay, fine, then let the Greeks sell you respirators if uh, they're your friends now. So we are, you know, <laughs> if we were closed out, closed on all ends and only the Visegrad guys, Orban, the Orban guys are, are supplying assistance and this is going to be noticed uh, among the people. Interesting. Well, I, I have, um, on, on this broad subject, I've noticed an uptick in the number of, of columns, articles, and uh, analysis coming out uh, about the potential demise of the European Union over this whole thing. Mm. Uh, and how, as we've talked about in, in the past couple of podcasts, that the first order of business for every country was to close its borders. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, in a way, it's every man for himself. And it's... it's yeah. You know, it, it's that's what the nation state is there for: it's to protect their own people first and foremost. Uh, and the response of the EU, as you've just pointed out, has been woefully 
uh, inadequate uh, to its own high ideals, quote unquote, uh, and but others on a individual country to country by country basis have been stepping up to the plate and supplying, helping their friends and their neighbors. Yeah, and uh, you know, in the Balkans, since we are so balkanized, uh, uh, basically every other valley is oftentimes a different religion or a nation. And as I said, the hospitals are turning back patients uh, from one city to another. So Ohrid doesn't want to have people from Struga coming over. You know, we're going to be maybe even be, you know below the level of the nation state. We're going to we're going to balkanize to a city state level the way things are going. If this persists, you know, Kumanova is, has been calling to control entry and exits out of the city, but most importantly, entrances. Um, Kochan is demanding, uh, wants to set up roadblocks because Vinica next door, all this region, they have a lot of people in, in Italy, but Vinica especially. So they're worried about Vinica bringing the disease. We're going to have this divide like in the US, big urban cities against the more rural communities where, you know, we don't practically do not have the virus in the rural communities. The curfew is also not, is also ignored because, you know, you have, you live next to your farm, of course you're going to work on your farm. No, it's not going <laughs> to, you, you're yeah. not going to stop doing the farm, farm work because of the virus. And uh, the cities are going to be bad. The cities are, you know, high rise, especially, you know, we, we keep wiping uh, the elevator doors and, uh, you know, uh, Every, everywhere you see these uh, these doormats doused with uh, bleach, you have to step in them before you can get into a supermarket or into a building. So the there is going to be divide across, you know, urban, rural, and then ethnic, religious. It's going to be a big mess here. Yeah, well, it's not just there though. It's it's here. It's everywhere. And this is something we talked about offline before uh, before recording this about you know some of the changes that we started talking about last week that are going to come. Uh, to our countries, uh, to the world. Uh, after this, we talked about the education system. We talked about, you know, the uh, the cities and people will be moving out of the cities um, to less denser places. Um, just even the act of shaking hands, which is a common um, uh, gesture around the world and has been for a long time. You know, that's going to change. Um, yeah. And. And it's interesting, I was listening to a, um, I can't remember which podcast it was yesterday, commentary or, na- or the editors at National Review or something, but, or it might have been Victor Davis Hanson, uh, mm. of National Review's podcast now, um, talking about how, you know, as a society, whether it's Macedonia or the United States or anywhere else, we accept a certain amount of deaths annually for the regular mm. flu, knowing... Yep of course, that that virus, the regular quote-unquote flu, is transmitted uh, in the same way, you know, mm. uh, handshakes and touching things and, and you know, things like that. It just happens to be less, uh, less uh, deadly and less uh, uh, communicable, I think it's the right word. Uh, and yet we still, you know, sit next to each other at sports games and, and entertainment venues and uh, we still shake hands and hug and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Will this, though, get rid of that? I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody knows at this point. Uh, because especially now the experts are saying that this is going to come back in the fall, at least in this hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that's going to change. But the thing that worries me more than that, because that's you know, these are societal changes that, that can adapt, and there's, you know, if, if we don't shake hands, well, that's fine. We, you know, we, can, we can live with that. But what worries me more is the surveillance state. Uh, and we've seen this in the Asian countries where their Asian culture is much more conformist and this tracking of those that have, uh, that, that came down with the, the virus, uh, tracking them by cell phones and things of that nature. And it's, it's the growing Orwellian state, uh, the government's ability mm. to tell you to stay home and don't even leave your home. And this isn't China we're talking about. This is, we're talking about, this is Macedonia. This is about in certain places in the United States, et cetera. And our, you know, people like Ann Applebaum will like that uh, to a certain yeah. degree, I think, as long as it benefits her agenda, their agenda. And that's what worries me more about this is how much of that stuff is going to continue after this is over. Yeah. Yeah, the left uh, 
kept losing elections. Now they have a perfect excuse to cancel elections in places like Italy or Macedonia. There, uh, there is unlikely to be a proper real vote anytime soon if uh, this is the standard of, uh, you know, where we have to go full life preservation mode uh, as opposed to life goes on as if this is like a, a normal flu, albeit a bit, uh, you know, more potent. Uh, I mean, here culturally we have a saying when somebody dies, you know, if it's an older person that, well, you know, you console the family by telling them, well, at least everything is going in accordance to the order, in accordance to the, uh, how God intended, you know, that sons bury their fathers, not the other way around. Right. And, you know, I, I, I guess we have, factored in the flu because it usually follows this order that it's uh, uh, affecting uh, older people and uh, um, you know if this thing proves to be especially deadly to the young then I expect that we would uh, have to uh, you know accept a major lifestyle change so far it has not been the case there are even some analysis that the longer we postpone exposure of the young population and developing this herd immunity that we keep these hotspots they're, they're going to bubble up here and there that we're putting even more of the elderly at risk because we're prolonging the inevitable right even though here the 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 healthcare ministry acknowledges that eventually this is going to end up with collective immunity that means every young person being uh, exposed to this and no longer transmitting it to the elderly so why not getting rip the bandaid immediately? Right. Why, uh, if we keep postponing it, we'll just have it fire up in a city or, or in a village here and there, and over time kill more of the elderly. So that's one issue of management. Another issue is of is it upset, upsetting the order we have been accustomed to, or or not? So far it hasn't, and um, you know we keep hearing that it's going to create this um, huge. Um, you know, shortage of medical professionals, but, you know, d doctors with the flu would go to work until they develop symptoms. You do not just panically check them every other day and in case they have a flu, you can have the flu and not have symptoms and go to work and, you know, we are accustomed to the healthcare system killing millions of elderly people every year for such infections and uh, it's not... I don't know how, how this has become, uh, uh, okay, now, now it stops. Starting this year, uh, starting this with this particular strain of the flu, we have to reorganize uh, life in general. Right. Some things might be changed to the better, but uh, as you said, it's uh, going to be very difficult to claw back the power from the government once we gave, it, gave them the right to set prices, to control banks, you know, to order them uh, what to do with the payment uh, of the loans, to pick winners and losers, to reimburse the, the losers they like. It's going to be a big mess in that regard. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, the economist Milton Friedman who said there is nothing uh, as permanent as a temporary government program. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, yeah, once, yeah. And that's, I think that's part of human nature. Once, once the bureaucrats and others have the power, they don't want to give it back. So, mm. uh, and, and same thing on the economic side. Governments are, are they're not doing, these aren't, these aren't stimulus packages. These are rescue packages that various governments yeah. are putting together. Over here, it's $2 trillion, $6 trillion if you factor in other aspects of it. But it's, it's, it's well, literally, print, it's not even printing money. It's just adding zeros yeah. to balance sheets. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 all electronic. It's um, and you know that's going to have to be paid back at some point. Uh, but I mean, mm -hmm. as as Jonah Goldberg pointed out the other day on his podcast, you know, who wouldn't want to get a twelve hundred dollar check from the government and then another one and mm -hmm. then another one and then another one and you can't do that. It's not sustainable. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that's another aspect of this whole thing that that uh, we don't know how it's going to change human behavior. Uh, mm. Not human nature. Human nature doesn't change. Human behavior does change. Uh, what that's going to do that. Uh, and and then, as well as, of course, the economic um, uh, implications. Now, I know in Macedonia last week we talked in the podcast about the budget hole that uh, 
what what are the latest are there any changes in those numbers have they gone up or how's the government going to address that uh, the finance minister who is you know looking seriously out of her debt you know is this wanted to have this fresh female face run the ministry but their first option was to have Zayev as the finance minister oh, right. yes. and remaining in the government uh, even uh, once it's reformed as a finance minister but eventually they chose to have uh, this girl who ran like an IT company to provide like these cheaper discounts for manicures <laughs> she's our finance right. minister heaven help us and uh, she came out she said we have three projections one is a whole of 700 Mil, you know, depending on how quickly this uh, will reopen the economy, 700 million, 1 billion, 1.3 billion. That's Euros. just the deficit. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and what's, the, what's the normal, what's the last budget? Well, there? they projected it at about 4 billion for this year. Yeah. And that's, uh, that projection is out the window. So basically up to a, uh, yeah, even more than a quarter uh, of the budget uh, would be deficit. Uh, that would be like 10% uh, of the GDP deficit. Uh, wow. In deficit for, for this year. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and in all of this, you know, Zayev proposed cutting uh, public sector wages that would have killed him in the elections. That was his alternative to do cutting the actual big item, uh, big budget item, which is the uh, retirement, the pensions, so he wanted to sacrifice the public sector workers, which are 120, 30,000, to save his standing with the 350, <laughs> 400,000 retirees. But right. even this was rejected at the government. Apparently his own party and Dewey were opposed. So now we're cutting practically nothing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> even mm -hmm. they used their executive power uh, yesterday to adopt a law in which they give the huge bonuses uh, payments to the Katitsianovas team, to the special prosecutors. These guys who have been extorting money left and right, like tens of millions. <laughs> and they were complaining that they were fired. Some of them were fired from their jobs after, you know, the institution was destroyed after Yanova destroyed it. Right. Uh, and they were not being paid for months. So now we're paying their back pays and they're, we're hiring them in the... Uh, regular prosecutorial service, we're giving them their bonuses. <laughs> you know, like they stole enough money to last them five lifetimes, <laughs> and we are paying them. <laughs> that was such a, such wow. a horrendous movie yesterday. Wow. And so I, I saw in the news. I didn't have a chance really to dig deeply into it. Um, maybe you can let listeners know. But Orze Komchev, who is kind of the star, quote unquote, of brackets. <laughs> Racket scandal. Uh, actually, uh, that's Katizianeva and Bulky Thirteen. But but he was the businessman who was extorted. He owns yeah. a private clinic, Sestina, and mm -hmm. um, they've been doing their own testing of patients, and yeah. their numbers are different from the government's numbers. What's that all about? Uh, this was great. I mean, we, we have a uh, the racket scandal mixed up completely with the uh, with. Uh, the coronavirus epidemic handling scandal. <laughs> so basically, Orza first proved that the government is extorting money from him. He wiretapped them, recorded them. It right. was all glorious for the entire year we've been entertained by this scandal. Uh, and, uh, and now, you know, through Sistina, they have a different type of test, which shows if you're either in full-blown, uh, you know, infection, or if you had already... Uh, acquired this immunity. If you have the antibodies, that means you had the virus, you defeated the virus, you can't, in most cases, can't reacquire it. And they've been doing this massively. So the government has a limited number of tests, and they would do like 100, 200 tests in a day. Orza would do 400. <laughs> and out of them, like a quarter would return positive. Mm. And he would tell them, okay, now you go and do, do the test again in... Uh, the government, you show up with my piece of paper and tell them that you have the antibodies, which means you're either infected now or are immune, and now you'll know, which is very useful. You can put these people back on the streets. You can put them back into work if they have, you know, have a positive from Orza but a negative from the government. He was doing a lot of work, but his numbers were, <laughs> you know, it turns out he was doing two or three times more tests than the government. And even because there is this perverse way the uh, 
public sector bills services in the absence of a market they just you know uh, pull the numbers out of their uh, and um, basically it turned out that uh, uh, Orza was charging significantly less uh, for a test than the government like three, two or three or four times less than the public sector was charging so hmm. he, he showed that there is a uh, uh, apparent corruption in the in the testing. He showed that there is serious under testing, uh, and the government's response was to to seek the journalists they control against him. So they started accusing Gorza's tests of being not professional, uh, that they were uh, fake, that he was giving false hope or false positives to the to the people. Uh, then the government sent an uh, audit to his hospital to get him to, sh to shut up. And eventually, wow. as we were discussing totalitarianism, they ordered him to stop publishing his numbers. So now Sistina and the other private hospitals who are doing corona testing, they're not allowed to publish their numbers, which clearly indicates that the government wants to hide the number of, uh, you know, the extent of the epidemic. SDSM invested heavily in Vinko Filip, the healthcare minister, to present him as, you know, a competent, calm under fire person who would go out every day two or three times to reassure the public. They started campaigns of, you know, of Viber stickers you can use with Venko giving you orders, like listen to Venko, you know, he knows what's best for you. You know, this, just like they were promoting Katicayanova once with t-shirts and, and <laughs> billboards and everything. And now they were doing this with Venko. But as the numbers got worse with people, you know, significant number of people dead by now and being infected. And as Orza was showing that the numbers are even worse than, than the ones uh, that Vinko was, was giving us, uh, and they ordered him to shut up. Wow. And the best part is he also offered his hotels, one of which was a hospital until recently, the old Sistina, uh -huh. uh, for uh, quarantine. And we had this, this is the iconic image now from the epidemic so far. So Vladimir Milchin, this horrible former police agent, informer, who got proper decent Macedonian dissidents in prison by spying on them and who was instrumental in organizing the colored revolution. Uh, right. He was head of the Soros uh, uh, Macedonia branch. And now uh, Milchin had to be evacuated by the Austrian government from Peru, where he was on vacation with his wife. And uh, once you return to Macedonia, you can't just be allowed into the streets. You have to go into quarantine. And yeah. even Milchin had to go into quarantine. And they sent him in one of Orza's hotels. Oh. And now oh. he, he's locked up with his wife. And his wife started posting angry Facebook comments. We are freedom fighters. We fought against the Gruevsky regime. And now we are locked up in a hotel built by the regime. She means Orza from his face when he was working with Pomerok. He works with everybody. But... You know, is this justice? How dare they lock us in his hotel? And everybody was like, oh my God, this is the best. This is the, f this is like, because Milchin is this, uh, in his mind, a famous and notable and distinguished drama director. <laughs> and we were like suggesting, hey, maybe you can now direct uh, Sartre's wheat claws, you know, this <laughs> drama when <their laughs> people are enduring hell locked in together <laughs> with, his, with your wife in Orza's hotel. It's, 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 it's best. It's oh, the, that is rich. It's magnificent. Oh, well. Uh... So what, what's, what's happening on your end in, in the U.S.? Well, you know, we... we uh... You know, the uh, the president does his daily press conferences with oh, his, uh, his coronavirus team, the the Surgeon General, Doctor Fauci, <laughs> uh, Doctor Bricks, etc. Um, the media, the mainstream media. Here's an interesting thing. So, you know, we're both in the media. You, you're you're a journalist. I I, I work with the media for uh, especially local media and, and select niche media for some of our clients, but. The, the local media here, just speaking about my area of southern Arizona, has been fantastic in just reporting the news, uh, reporting a lot of good news stories as well. But it's the mainstream media, it's the CNN of this world that is just behaving atrociously, in my yeah. opinion. Even Matt Drudge, who, of course, we follow. If you, if you read Matt mm. Drudge, you think, well, we're going to die in 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's gone mad. And a lot of the others have just absolutely just 
behaved yeah. absolutely horribly in this whole thing. Um, and so you have to read a lot of stories, or I don't have television, so I get everything off the internets. Um, so you have to read a lot to figure out what the truth is and, and, and whatnot. And, and the thing that, that still kind of bugs me is that very few people are reporting, you know, about the Chinese. Uh, yeah. and, and they're, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at here at the latest report right now. It says China, which is a country of 1.4 billion people. I don't need to remind our listeners. Uh, three new deaths. Three. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this originated in China. The reason that the world is in the situation it is now is because the Chinese government did not alert the world to the severity of it and tried to cover it up. It started in Wuhan. We don't know exactly how. I don't know if it was, you know, I think the conventional wisdom is the wet markets, although some some people think it's, you know, bioengineered in a lab, etc. I, mm. I don't believe that. But anyway, I have seen a few reports from some um, media outlets talking about the number of urns because the Chinese uh -huh. uh, are big on cremation, the number of urns that have been delivered to Wuhan, in up, upwards of 40,000 urns over the past two months. Uh, and Whoa. the total deaths, let's see, for China, again, a country of 1.4 billion, according to official statistics, 3,329. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I do not... Look, the Chinese government, and I want to make a distinction, the Chinese government, not the Chinese people, but the Chinese government, mm. the official... Communist Party are a bunch of lying bastards. And one thing, you know, we were talking earlier about things that are going to change. One thing that's going to have to change is, you know, companies and countries and others are going to have to rethink what they source from China, whether it's pharmaceuticals or, um, you know, cell phones or, you know, raw materials or whatever. Countries need to rethink this. We, we don't need to be relying on China. For this, uh, for this stuff, and of course they they steal uh, intellectual property anyway. Um, but there's going to have to be a serious rethink on on the way the world does business with China, in my opinion. I don't know how much. I'd be curious to know what the statistics are for Macedonia and China, how much what the import export is, and what those imports and exports are, aside from the cheap plastic crap that, uh, that um, China sells. The food stuff. I haven't checked the numbers. I haven't checked the numbers. Yeah, I think. No, we buy a lot uh, in machinery as well, like uh, electronics. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you would easily find like Chinese uh, uh, TV sets or air conditioning units. That's all made in China. And yeah. I'm sure, you know, cars, we buy a lot of the car parts are made there. I mean, we, I expect that Macedonia, which is uh, still barely able to be like a competitor to China in textiles or... Mm -hmm. Car parts. We're gonna. I'm, I assume we're gonna get some more business if things develop regionally. Like you know, Europe get tries to get more self-reliant. America tries to get more. I think we're gonna get more car parts plants here. But again, we are not. We can't. You know, cover uh, a fraction of uh, what they're producing here, even if we got all the contracts for to sew masks and. Uh, Car parts, maybe more automation will be the answer. They're trying to get, uh, to do a little, uh, like, uh, what's this, like, uh, public diplomacy. So they gave uh, some assistance to the interior ministry. So then they prompted the European Union the next, or no, so, sorry, the OSC mission, the next day to post a picture of a similar donation to the ministry. But, like, they had, like, five boxes more if the Chinese gave us 10 boxes of whatever <laughs> the OSC gave us 15. So uh, <laughs> there is some attempts to play uh, this card. But of course, I mean, listen, the big deal here, we courted them for capital investments because we couldn't get enough money from the EU to build highways and roads and bridges. Right. And the Chinese said, listen, we'll, we'll come, no worries. And, um, and then we had to expel them essentially after the coup in Macedonia, there were there were attempts to stop their projects uh, from being completed, uh, the two highways, and they announced if you build these two highways, next we build you a railway link, a completely new railway railway between uh, Greece and Serbia for our big port in Athens, uh, and then you know maybe the big deal which we were thinking would, would be to flood the Vardar River Valley with like a succession of dams and. Uh, make it navigable 
through canals, so make a major and enormous, like this would be tens of billions in construction, like uh, make it navigable and also make a huge energy complex with hydro dams and irrigation, etc. So we had great plans with the Chinese, uh, the Gruevsky government did, they were toppled and uh, uh, now we're stuck and we're still waiting for anything from the European Union. <laughs> I mean, listen, from our angle, they don't humiliate us, they don't insult us. Mm -hmm. We have very little uh, in investment in the power games the Europeans or the US plays against China. Uh, they are they were eager to invest in us uh, with no strings attached uh, but yeah obviously they're commies and uh, uh, it's gonna have to be managed at some point for the stability of their own country and uh, the whole world true well yes it's yeah and, and they're communists but the EU is increasingly just simply authoritarian uh, mm. both both uh, both systems of government are bad. Yeah, we're going to have to fight them on both fronts. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have a growing group in within Europe, the Visegrads, and uh, uh, not sure how Russia will play in the future, but maybe with maybe if the U.S. gets serious about foreign policy, it can salvage something out of Europe, uh, make it you know, ferment a turnaround in Europe and then and then we can be in some position to actively deal with the Chinese. We are a NATO member now, obviously we have to uh, <laughs> join in the fight sometimes. It's interesting also, you know, the Chinese and the Indians have an active war essentially against their Muslim minorities. Ah, yes. This would also have repercussions for Europe. I mean, uh, on one hand, uh, you know, they're totalitarian shouldn't trust them. On the other hand, uh, with our history of fighting Muslims here, it uh, you know it, it's going to spread. It's it's an ongoing conflict uh, at the borders of uh, Islam, and uh, you know there is uh, they can make a different type of a pitch. Listen, we're going to help you uh, to Europe once right. thing if things get uh, you know progressively worse in Europe as, as they are getting. Yeah, it's going to be a very Huntingtonian world we're rushing towards. Let's just leave it at that. You said Huntingtonian? Mm. <laughs> the, well, late, the late Samuel, for, for those that don't know what Sven's referring to, the late Samuel Huntington, whose famous uh, paper then turned into a book, The Clash of Civilizations. Well, I or guess AKA my daily life here. Yes. Well, I guess that's better than a Hobbesian world of a war for all against all, uh, of all against all. Yeah. Sorry, uh, where life is uh, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had Pendarovsky meet. Uh, I think he had like a, a chat, or, or he met with Francis Fukuyama at one of these oh. powwows, like in uh, Aspen or yeah. Munich or whatever. <laughs> I remember tweeting at him, listen, buddy, we, we don't live it in that guy's world. <laughs> like, look around you. And this is, it's happening, I mean, with uh, the toppling of the government in Kosovo, which is a huge source of amusement for me because, oh, yes. you know, we see all the people who were invested in toppling the Gryevsky government. They're now, oh, the U.S., they toppled a, a legitimate and popularly elected government in the Balkans. How dare they? Like, you were actively involved in the same thing. Exactly. For a different American administration in Macedonia, but uh, it's apparently going to lead into some type of border redrawing. <laughs> and then there was this famous tweet I keep tweeting back of the same Pendarovsky who was taking a picture with Huntington, uh, bug-eyed and like scared. And uh, Tim Judah wrote he was also here for some event, and he says, "Well, Pendarovsky seems very scared about the." danger of border redrawing in Kosovo, like, he was super scared that it's, how it's going to affect Macedonia. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, we're in NATO, we should be safe. You're friends with Fukuyama, like, he assures you that the liberal world <laughs> order is, is safe and uh, inviolable, I'm sure. I mean, why are you now so afraid of, of border change in the, in the region? Yeah, we're, things are going to get bad. <laughs> I mean, yes, in more ways than one. Again. So, yeah. well... On that note, I don't think we have a farmer's pick. I think next week, let's put a, let's make a concerted effort into finding some good news for our farmer's picks, which uh, 
which we kind of have yeah. let go by the wayside recently. So, I, mean, I cook a lot, but I don't think the mood is right to keep posting my my cooking exploits <laughs> like we did in the past several episodes. So, Tourism blogs are definitely out. Yeah, cultural differences here. Um, you know, we've got a, the the local news media have a list of all the restaurants that are open for takeout, delivery, etc., okay. takeaway. Uh, and and the restaurant industry here is actively encouraging people to at least take out at least once a week from your favorite restaurant, mm. and and it's working. Uh, whereas in Macedonia, maybe this is a European yeah. thing. It's that's people are doing more cooking at home. I think so. Yeah, everybody's cooking at home. I haven't heard anybody posting bragging about takeout. I haven't seen people going into restaurants, although they're open for a limited time. Like sure. I seen some around me. Uh, they say, but you know, we have so much free time and the standards are uh, different here. I mean, it's you know, pretty expensive, I'd say, uh, to eat out. And now you have all the time in the world. And we all piled up on uh, flour and uh, macaroni, and uh, I just keep perfecting macaroni and cheese and macaroni <laughs> and tuna. And I did steaks, I did proper steaks like uh, the other day, but. Uh, it's mostly, and I wait for weather to get warmer so I can start grilling. Yeah. But yeah, there, we don't have this culture of supporting our local restaurants unless you can be pictured uh, inside. Like, uh, people would love, love to post pictures while in a restaurant and throwing money around at the music and uh, whatnot. But uh, right now, somehow I don't see it. Uh, uh, there is no campaign to post to promote like takeout yeah that's too bad mm. uh be interesting to see once i get back there hopefully maybe, maybe this summer see how many restaurants see how many of my favorite restaurants are still open yeah <laughs> who has survived yeah it's all right be ugly for a bunch of people yeah all right i think that's a wrap on this end yeah i think we have it all pretty much covered uh, we'll see what Orza comes up with next week. <laughs> yes. He's the hero of the past year, definitely. <laughs> All right. Good talking to you, son. You too, buddy. Take care.